Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arsketin coming to you from North Carolina and excited to be here today. Again, traveling um, with family uh, to be in Shreveport, Louisiana this weekend. And so I'm pre-recording this, but I wanted to make sure we are still staying on the wall praying, but informed about what the Lord is calling us to in this season that we are in. And I really want to build upon what we talked about on Tuesday and the prophetic word that Chuck Pierce gave in-house from someone there and and really underlying the intensity for the season ahead. We've given similar prophetic words um, building upon each, and it just shows where we're at in today. But I want to first start out in Scripture And I titled today, you know, Increase Faith for the Season Ahead because we can see examples throughout Scripture when Israel's in exile and in other situations where the Lord still gives them a blessing, where the Lord still provides a way for them, puts clothes on their back, food on their table, a covering for them to sleep, no matter the situation. And we see in Jeremiah 32, let me pull this up on the screen, that Jeremiah was imprisoned. And I want to read the first half of this chapter because I think it really outlines and, and can give us some faith for this season ahead, even finding some yourselves in an, an imprisonment. And then later on give an example um, of a natural historical example of how something similar to this can be walked out as well, something more easily for us to grasp. And so in Jeremiah, we see here the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem and Jeremiah, the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of King Judah because Zedekiah, king of Judah had shut him up saying, why do you prophesy (laughs) saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he will take it. I mean, I would, if I were king, I I would not be happy about that. And you got to think from his perspective, but Jeremiah had to be obedient to the Lord and just say what he said. And then in verse 4, And Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but he will surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he will speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he will take Zedekiah to Babylon, and he will be there until I visit him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Chaldeans, you will not succeed. Then it goes on. And this is important here. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Enathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please. 
that is at Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, for you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. I bought the field which was at Ananoth from Hamamel, Hanamel, my son's uncle, and I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver. If you remember our dream from our podcast on Monday, it's very interesting that the right of redemption for this field was bought with 17 shekels. And in verse 10, I signed and sealed the deed and called in the witnesses and weighed out the silver of the shekels, and I took the deeds of purpose and both sealed the copy containing the terms of conditions in the open copy and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Neriah the son of Maseah in the sight of Hanamel my uncle's son and in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard and goes on to talk about um, just closing out the rest of that about how the Lord ended up going in and saying houses and fields and vineyards will be bought again in this land as a as a sign of redemption, of a hope and a faith for the future. That's the key point there. And then Chuck points out uh, for this is that he says, meditate and ask the Lord for your faith action. And was Jeremiah necessarily seeking this? Uh, he, 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 he was more worried probably about his life uh, more than anything in this instance. And, and then ultimately in this state, stake your claim. Uh, of walk out have the faith that the lord is giving you this wisdom for in whatever situation may be whether as you're a jeremiah imprisoned during a battle and possibly going into another foreign land and being taken away or in the current times and seasons that we're in as we are dealing with a host of scenarios today so we want to start there scripturally to build our foundation and today i want to hopefully be shorter and i want to tell a example we've been talking about totalitarianism is soft and hard and given some examples um, broad examples uh, within the outslot of nazi germany and the soviet union in the ussr but i want to give today a specific example of a historical figure less known historical figure in the nation of czechoslovakia and this is a, a the man I want to talk about. His name is Baklav Benda. If you know anything about Czechoslovakian history, uh, you know his name is not very popular, but is is becoming made more well known. And the reason I want to bring him up is because he he wrote several articles in his time, essays more so, that they're called about the importance of the Christian faith within society, the need for it. And, and he set, not only did he just write about this, he set the example within his own family. And he was willing to pay the cost of not only standing up for humanitarian rights, which is what he did as part of some of his political interactions, but more specifically, biblical moral foundations now he was a catholic to be intellectually honest but that doesn't mean he can't stand for biblical moral values because he did and a lot of the catholic church in the former soviet nations did so as well and i think we can all take prime examples from their christian faith um, even within the sect of catholicism of how to 
have the faith for the future because a lot of his essays were about the future. And so a little bit about Baklav Venda is that he is considered a great thinker and a philosopher um, and political and theological acumen, but he was driven out of humanities and the sciences and then at the university as a whole. And I'm reading a write-up on him. He was basically an intellectual who was cast out of, you would call, high society and really knocked down a few rungs on the social, quote-unquote, social class because he didn't adhere to communistic and socialistic policies that were very, very anti-humanitarian. And in the years after the Soviet and Warsaw Pact, tanks crushed the Prague Spring in August of 1968. And like many Czech dissidents, he was reduced to becoming a stoker, a menial position at the bottom of the social hierarchy. I mean, he went from being top of the class, working at a university, having a very secure job, if he just gave in to hard totalitarianism at that time in the form of uh, communism socialism. He was something of a latecomer to what is the humanitarian organization called Charter 77, which is considered an independent initiative of Czechoslovakian citizens. In the beginning, there were only 243 people that signed. It ended up being more. Who demanded that the communist regime live up to its human rights commitments under the 1975 Helsinki agreements? Once he joined, he committed himself with vigor and moral seriousness he would become one of the most impressive theorists in the Czech underground, pointing realistically to a future freed from totalitarian denominations. And a lot of that was based upon biblical moral values and his Christian faith. Later, he was sentenced to four years in prison, which he served from 1979 to 1983, and his wife, Camilla, undeterred, made the Binda family flat in Prague a refuge for those harassed by the Communist Party state. And something that's interesting about where that flat was located was literally across the street from the secret police in Prague, where dissidents in Czechoslovakia, believers or non- would go and have inhumane torture tactics to get information out of them about said underground, about the church, um, at the underground church at the time, about information being passed around. And his wife just opened it up and people would come, believers and non, people who would consider themselves quote-unquote communists, in the Czech underground, the Charter 77, to have some form of peace before and after they got out of those torture sessions. It's very interesting. And the reason I tell his story is because this is a man of a father of six children who laid the down the example of what it truly means to stand up for your faith. And and I, I highlight, and I want to highlight him because it's very important for us to look at some of these examples in today's society and look at, you know, even though he 
in material and natural standpoints, didn't succeed well, wasn't this wealthy, wealthy man. He passed on much more uh, greater fruit in history than anybody, um, and most people in his time did, as, as some even gave in to the communistic regimes. And here's a picture of him from an article in the American Conservative. Uh, when his children were younger, I'm not sure exactly when, what day this picture was taken, but you can see Baklav and his family, his wife there, Camila, and the six children gathered around a table um, in their little flat. And, and the important thing here is that this is a picture taken in 2018 where this gentleman, Rob Dyer, who has written The Live Not By Lies and other things, he actually wrote this article in the American Conservative, and he actually went and spent some time with the Benda family, and as you can see, their story is that they were, obviously, the, with parents being intellectual, they would read a lot, but they would discuss things. They would read Tolkien, they would read other aspects to get their kids to think, and they... they biggest thing they taught their children was to engage society not to be in the world but to be not to be of the world but in the world and to hold a biblical moral foundation as well as they possibly could and be an example for that and Baklov was one of those examples and helped lead the country out of communistic totalitarian regime into somewhat free society that it has become and there are still challenges and look he's not a perfect man but i think that's important and in his understanding and in one of his essays he really highlighted the importance of family and even what it can provide within the totalitarian state as he wrote an article titled the family and the totalitarian state, and it dealt with some of the problems involved in there. But he highlighted three main points in the essay about family. And I want to read those and go over those because I think it's, it's really interesting and important for us to, to understand. And in this article, first and foremost, he explains his core beliefs of what he said he thought must be done to help the family endure the face of government and social order bent on destructing family and religion and it's kind of similar that we're seeing those things today with the lgbtq type stuff crt and schools this whole agenda going after children to separate and even in some instances with what's happening out in california to separate the parent and the child from each other if they you're somebody's able to convince a child that they want to mutilate themselves and in the in the essay benda says that we must throw away the regular cliches about liberation from the traditional obligations of marriage and family. And in a Christian model, marriage and family offers three gifts that are urgently needed for believers struggling with a totalitarian order. So things can be passed upon no matter what order and who's in, in positions of power. The first is the fruitful fellowship of love. In which we are bound together with our neighbor without pardon by virtue simply of our closeness, not on the basis of merit, rights, and entitlements, but by virtue and mutual need and its affection, reciprocation, 
identically, although completely unmotivated by notions of equality and permanent conflict between the sexes, meaning that you're tied to each other. Like you need the, this, this fellowship of love to be fruitful because there is nobody else. You're, you're family. That's it. And so we need to, to, to come together and really understand each other and then love each other through our differences, but understand how things can work together based upon how the Lord sees them. The second gift is freedom. And he says, given to us so absolutely that even as finite and in the course of the conditions of the world, seemingly rooted beings, we are able to make permanent, eternal decisions. Every marriage promises that is every marriage promise that is kept, every fidelity in defiance of adversity is a radical defiance of our finitude, something that elevates us and with us all created corporally higher than the angels. And the importance he lays out here is the the gift of freedom within the family, within a marriage, to know that you have a peace and a surrounding around you to be able to explore a relationship with the Lord and to walk out the credences of the faith with your family in loving thy neighbor. And one of the things he said is most vital of a family is for a man to stay faithful to his wife and not seek out other partners. And and that's crucial not only for the family, but for those who look to that family as an example of, number one, the Christian faith, but that there can be people out there who have moral values and you can know that they can be trusted to, and the things that they're saying, and especially for him of being such a staunch advocate for the faith was very important. And he lived that out as a prime example of that. And then the third gift he says of the family is the dignity of the individual within the family fellowship. And he says this in particular, all other social roles, we are replaceable and can be relieved of them, whether rightly or wrongly. However, such a cold calculation of justice does not reign between husband and wife, between children and parents, but rather the law of love. Even though love fails completely, and with all that accompanies that failure, the appeal of shared responsibilities for mutual salvation remains, preventing us from giving up on unworthy sons, cheating wives, and dobering fathers. And the idea here is to understand that, again, you can be replaced from a job. You can be replaced from any other situation. But at the end of the day, you can't replace a a father of a son. Truly. And the importance of what the family can give you. And so I wanted to highlight these as examples because it's very important for families in the days ahead to be engaged and with each other. And the final thing here is he lays out that the prime example that in the days ahead with soft totalitarian rising, possibly hard totalitarianism, whatever the persecution 
may coming with these ideologies increasing is that Christians will have to regard family life in a much more focused and serious way. And that the, and this is from Live Not By Lies, the book, in, in saying the traditional Christian family is not merely a good idea. It is ultimately the, a survival strategy for the faith in a time of persecution. Christians should stop taking family life for granted and instead approaching it in a more thoughtful, disciplined way. We cannot simply live as all other families live, except that we go to church on Sunday. Ultimately, holding the correct theological beliefs and having the right intentions will not be enough. Christian parents must be intentionally countercultural in their approach to family dynamics. The days of living like everybody else and hoping our children turn out for the better are over. And ultimately, the Benda family is an example. They engaged with their kids as they sent their kids to schools in a communist nation with communist teachers. The kids understood what values to have, what values to stand against, not publicly saying and stating some pledges that other kids would around them, losing out on scholarship sports team opportunities and other things as well. But because they understood the importance of standing strong for the Christian faith, knowing that it was one of the, the things that would give them a backbone to be able to get out of and un, from under the totalitarian regime that they were in in Czechoslovakia under the Soviet Union. And so this is a prime example for us in modern history as you can, we can literally touch them as they're still alive today. Go to their home in Prague and, and see the fruits of this family multi-generationally of what it means to walk out our salvation, salvation and, and, and understanding the importance of family. And that's a, a stake in the faith that we can take like Jeremiah of being brought an opportunity by the Lord as the opportunities will be brought before us and we in those moments have to to have the faith and increased faith to be able to deal with the situations that are before us because Bakal could have given in could have kept his job could have kept bringing in a high income staying at a high class done nothing different but he decided because of his christian faith and there were multitude of reasons of why people resisted but this was his and he had a, a profound profound impact and so did the catholic church amongst the soviet union countries as they were the underground resistance in most nations but in czechoslovakia the binda family was one of the key components of the Christian faith in the underground resistance and in this some instances open movement even risk going to jail potential martyrdom as others did um, for their Christian faith and as other priests did throughout other country other countries within the Soviet reign and so this is a prime example uh, of the situation certain people go through I mean look at the disciples look at Paul um, the persecution, physical persecution he went through several, uh, several times in order to continue to spread the gospel 
of Christ. And so we want to end this week on that note of this historical figure. And hopefully this can be an encouragement for you to know that, yes, there are people out there. And, and yes, as we see in the example uh, of Jeremiah here these last couple days of how the Lord can still bless us, even in the situation uh, where it seems like we're unable to be blessed. And so with that, I'll close out this week. Don't, be for, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and continue to stand with us as we pray, not only for this nation, but the office of the president. And hopefully building, help us all build a foundation because this speaks more to me than anything as a father and someone who's growing a family of an example to look up to as my own father does. Um, so blessings to each and every one of you and we'll be back next week uh, continuing to pray for this nation and the office of the president. Blessings and I'll see you next week. Have a good one.